John chapter 20 is the portion of Scripture we read this morning. John chapter 20, the first 18 verses, and the text is verses 11 through 18. We will not be rereading those verses because of their length. John chapter 20. Beginning at verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, And he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Now begins the word of the text. But Mary stood without, outside, at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing And knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him, carried him hence, away from here, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, 
and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verses 11 through 18. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the fascinating things about the account of Jesus' resurrection is the fact that the disciples were not looking for it. In fact, the disciples were not even hoping for the resurrection. The very reason the women came to the sepulcher early on that Easter Sunday morning was so that they might finish the work of preparing Jesus' body for burial. When the women started walking to the sepulcher of Jesus, they were expecting to find a dead Jesus. As much as Jesus had plainly taught his disciples that he would rise from the dead, and even told them that he would rise the third day, they didn't understand it or expect it. The reality is, the disciples were still entertaining the notion of an earthly kingdom. And everything that had transpired over the last three days or so had been very confusing to them all. The disciples were not looking for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is very important for us to realize. Because that explains why Jesus appears to his disciples the way that he does. When we read of these different resurrection appearances of Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus appears to his disciples the way that he does in order to teach them. He appears to his disciples the way that he does, and everything in all this history takes place the way that it does in order that Jesus might show his disciples the fact of his resurrection, that he is truly risen, and so that he might also teach them about the nature and the significance of his resurrection. Now that becomes very significant when we consider this passage before us this morning. When first reading the text for this morning, we might think to ourselves that this is a very strange encounter between Jesus and Mary. Jesus tells Mary that she may not touch him. Why does Jesus seem to be so distant and cold to Mary? Why can't Mary touch Jesus? Can't she be happy to see Jesus again? And this interaction between Jesus and Mary becomes especially confusing, perhaps, when you read later on that Jesus, in fact, commands Timothy to touch him, to to touch his hands and to touch the place on his side where the sword pierced him. Thomas is allowed to touch Jesus, but Mary is not. Well, there's an explanation for all of this. The reason Jesus does it like this is because Jesus needs to teach Mary a particular truth about his resurrection. And not just Mary, but the rest of the disciples. It's very significant that Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene is the very first appearance of Jesus to any of his disciples, and I mean disciples as in followers, to any of his disciples, Mary is going to go back and tell the disciples everything that that has happened, 
And, and so we see that right away early on this Easter Sunday morning, Jesus is going to teach Mary a very important truth about his resurrection. And that's also why Jesus interacts with Thomas the way that he does and tells Thomas to touch his body because Jesus needs to teach Thomas something else about his resurrection. He needs to teach Thomas that his resurrection was a real resurrection. This is Jesus' same body, the same body in which he died, and Thomas needs to believe that. But going back to Mary, what Mary needs to learn is this, that in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, Jesus has not returned to his previous life. In his resurrection from the dead, Jesus has not returned to the same old relationships that existed before his death. Things have changed. His relationship with Mary and with everyone else has fundamentally changed. That's what he teaches right away in his first appearance, his first resurrection appearance. And what ultimately has changed? Well, we can put it this way. Jesus has made all things new. That ultimately is what Jesus is teaching Mary in this passage. Jesus has made all things new. That's our theme for the sermon this morning, Jesus making all things new. And we look at that theme under three points. First, we look at the strange encounter between Jesus and Mary. Second, we look at the good reason for this strange interaction. And then third, we look at that glorious message that Jesus has made all things new. In order to understand this strange encounter between Jesus and Mary, let's first see how this encounter happened. Because John gives us a few details, but when you put all the other accounts together, there's a lot that's here. Early in the morning, while it is yet dark... Mary Magdalene and a few other women head out for the place where Jesus had been buried. Mary Magdalene and some of these other women with her had been there at the crucifixion of Jesus. They had been standing afar off, witnessing the death of their friend and teacher. Remember, we looked at it last week. John took Mary, the mother of Jesus, home after Jesus spoke those words, Behold thy mother. We can imagine that... Well, we can't imagine. It stated that those other women stayed at the foot of the cross. They had heard Jesus say at the end of three hours of darkness, I thirst. They had seen Jesus given up the ghost, give up the ghost and die. They had been there. They had seen Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take the body of Jesus from the cross. And with a thousand doubts and questions arising in their hearts, they had followed Joseph and Nicodemus in the funeral procession and had followed them to the place of Jesus' burial. And there they had sat by the grave as they observed Joseph and Nicodemus preparing the body of Jesus for burial. Then, of course, they rested on the Sabbath day, the Saturday And now, early in the morning, while it is yet dark, we read of Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Salome, the mother of James and John, Joanna, and other women whose names are not mentioned, heading out as a group to the sepulcher to anoint Jesus' body with spices. And as they walk, they talk to themselves about how they are going to roll away that great stone that was put in front of the sepulcher. 
Well, as soon as they get close enough to the sepulcher, they see that the stone has already been rolled away. We read in Matthew's account that there was a great earthquake and an angel had come and rolled away the stone from the door and was sitting on the stone. Well, Mary Magdalene, as soon as she saw the stone rolled away from the the vantage vantage point that she was at, she immediately thought the worst. Notice, she didn't think that Jesus actually had risen from the dead. No, but Mary Magdalene thought that robbers had come and had stolen the body. And of all the women that were going to the sepulcher that morning, this was apparently too much for Mary Magdalene. So she turns back and tells the disciples about what she thinks has happened. Meanwhile, the other women keep walking to the sepulcher. At the sepulcher, the other women speak to the angels who tell them the good news about Jesus' resurrection. And the women return to the disciples. In the meantime... Mary Magdalene has told Peter and John about what she thinks has happened, and so Peter and John run to the sepulcher to see whether what she said was true. They come to the sepulcher, they see the grave clothes, and we read that John immediately believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then we read that Peter and John head back to the other disciples. Meanwhile, as they head back, Mary herself is making her second trip, her return trip, back again to the sepulcher. And these, these people must have taken different routes because by the time Mary gets back to the place where Jesus is buried, she's all alone and she has not yet learned what the other women have learned from the angel and, and what Peter and John have learned from the angels and from the grave clothes that Jesus was risen from the dead. So there she is at the sepulcher of Jesus all alone, still with the vain hope that maybe she might find the body of her beloved Savior. And all these events work out so that Mary, Magdalene, will actually be the first to see Jesus risen from the dead. Well, before we go any further, let us ask the question, who was Mary Magdalene? Well, we don't actually know very much about Mary Magdalene. First of all, we know that she was from the town of Magdala. That's why she's called Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala. And second of all, we learn that Mary had once been possessed by demons. She once had seven demons in her, and Jesus had cast out those seven demons and healed her. And we read in Luke 8 verse 3 that ever since Mary had been healed of those demons, she, with other women, had begun following Jesus, and she had devoted herself to Jesus to serve Jesus with her substance and with the earthly things she possessed. Out of thankfulness. Mary Magdalene was a woman who followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, and she had completely dedicated her life to helping provide for Jesus' earthly comforts, giving him food when he needed supper, giving a cool and refreshing drink when he needed something to drink, that kind of service. And so the impression we get from Mary Magdalene, and this comes out even in the way she behaves in the text, is that Mary Magdalene found her life's purpose in taking care of Jesus' earthly needs. Yes, certainly Mary Magdalene probably also liked to listen to Jesus preach. Maybe she even wished that she understood more of Jesus' preaching. But if we wanted to characterize Mary, taking the data from Scripture, I think we could say that Mary Magdalene didn't concern herself too much with Jesus' preaching. But rather, she was a woman who just wanted to show her gratitude to Jesus by serving his earthly needs. 
And I hope you understand what I'm saying with these words. There are Christians like this. Every Christian has their own gift, their own interest, their own ability. And there are Christians who, who don't concern themselves too much with deep doctrinal questions. But they are the kind of people who want to show their love for Jesus by acts of service. And this is their particular gift and place in the church to do those acts of service. And that's the impression we get of Mary Magdalene. And now I say all of that because that's also exactly what we see taking place here on Easter Sunday morning. And that's also how we should look at this whole event in John chapter 20. Mary is going out to the sepulcher to do what she has always done. To tend to the needs of Jesus' earthly body. And this morning, you might say, is the last act that Mary Magdalene will be able to perform for Jesus. And you can imagine the kind of grief that Mary is experiencing. This Jesus, who had saved her from horrible demon possession, and whom she had so faithfully served from that moment on, was now dead. And this this will be her last act of service for Jesus before his body starts to decompose and before these earthly ties of devotion that she has for Jesus will be completely severed. And Mary, who has become so accustomed to taking care of Jesus' earthly needs, now not only mourns the death of her Savior, but in a sense has no more purpose in life, it would seem. She has become so attached to Jesus in his earthly form. She has become so attached to Jesus and who he is in the form of a servant. Jesus, the man of sorrows, who has earthly needs. That's the Jesus she knows. That's the Jesus she loves. Jesus in his earthly form. And now this morning will be her final act of service. She will be devoted to her Savior's earthly needs even to the bitter end. She will do everything she can to serve the needs of her Savior. And now imagine Mary's shock when she sees the stone has been rolled away and she thinks that that body of Jesus has been stolen. If they have stolen the body of Jesus, she can't carry out her last act of love. She can't do her last assignment for Jesus' earthly needs. She's been robbed of this final act of service and love and devotion. And I believe this is partly why Mary is so troubled. And perhaps this is also why she is the woman who runs back to the disciples. Perhaps more than any of the other women, Mary Magdalene is anxious to find the earthly body of Jesus, the remains of his earthly form, so that she might tend to his needs. She wants to show him her love. And this is how she knows how to do it. Perhaps this is also why Mary makes that second trip out to the sepulcher. Because she needs to find the body of Jesus. She wants to serve her Savior, even though he's dead. This, it seems to me, is an accurate representation of who Mary is. And we will see why all this is significant in just a moment. And now here comes Mary Magdalene to the sepulcher once again, all by herself, overwhelmed with grief and disappointment, wondering what has happened to the dead body of Jesus. And we read that when Mary gets to the sepulcher, she looks in the sepulcher and sees two angels. And they say to her in verse 13, Woman, why weepest thou? And notice, Mary Magdalene isn't even phased by these angels. It's almost like she doesn't even notice them. 
She speaks to them as if it's a common thing to speak to angels. And perhaps that's showing just how focused she is on finding the body of Jesus. And what does she say in verse 13? Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Then notice verse 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus asks her why she and Jesus asks her why she is weeping. And she says, "Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away." And that's a striking thought, isn't it? I don't know how strong Mary was, but recognize what Mary is saying in those words. Just imagine Mary trying to lug around the body of Jesus, moving it back to the grave. Mary is so willing to do anything for Jesus' earthly well-being that she even apparently offers to manhandle the body of Jesus and bring it back to the grave. And what's the point of saying all of this? The point is this. Mary is looking for an earthly Jesus. And Mary is looking to tend to Jesus' earthly needs. She has placed all of the love of her heart on Jesus and who He is in His earthly form. That's significant. And that's when we read about this strange encounter. First of all, it's striking that Mary doesn't even recognize who Jesus is. She thinks He's the gardener. And we're not sure why Mary didn't recognize Jesus at first, but perhaps the explanation is simply that Mary is so overwhelmed with grief and she's so focused on looking for a dead body that when she sees Jesus, it didn't even enter her mind to, to recognize Jesus for who he was. Because she knows that Jesus is dead, she sees that this man is alive, and so she just doesn't recognize Jesus. But then Jesus says, Mary. And immediately, Mary recognizes that it is Jesus. She knows the voice of her shepherd. And in a flood of overwhelming joy, Mary responds, Rabboni, Master. And and that must have been how Mary knew Jesus and, and what she called Jesus during his earthly life. He was her master. And she devotedly served his earthly needs as his servant. But then, strangely enough, Jesus says to her, Touch me not. Perhaps Mary at that moment had come forward to try to embrace Jesus. Literally, the idea is, don't cling to me. Or we would say today, don't embrace me. Don't touch me. Don't embrace me. Mary thought she had lost her Savior. And now she wants to embrace Him and cling to Him and never let Him go again. And Jesus says right away, don't touch me. What? Why can't Mary touch Jesus? Doesn't Jesus understand Mary's joy? Mary's ready to serve him again. And then Jesus suddenly starts talking about his ascension. He says in verse 17, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Strange encounter. Why? this strange encounter? Why these words of Jesus? In fact, what does Jesus' ascension have to do with any of it? Well, there is good reason, of course, for this strange encounter. There's a purpose in Jesus' words. 
And the good reason is rooted in the very nature of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and what his resurrection involved. Because Jesus' resurrection from the dead was an advancement from the earthly to the heavenly. We, we need to understand that. Jesus' resurrection was unlike any other resurrection that had taken place before. Think of the, la- the resurrection of Lazarus about a month earlier. About a month prior to Jesus' own resurrection, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus' resurrection was merely a return back to this earthly life. Although he was raised from the dead, Lazarus' body remained earthly. It remained flesh and blood. It was still an earthly body adapted for life here on this earth. And Lazarus' body was still mortal. Lazarus was going to have to go through the experience of dying again. And because of the nature of Lazarus' resurrection, when Lazarus arose from the dead, Lazarus was able to resume and take up his earthly life again with all the earthly relationships that he had prior to his death. Jesus' resurrection is different. Jesus' resurrection is not a return. Jesus' resurrection is an advancement. Yes, the body he took to himself was the same body that was laid in the grave on Friday afternoon. But through the resurrection, Jesus' body had been changed. It was not an earthly body anymore. It had been made a heavenly body. It was a body that was transformed, that was glorified. It was a body that was now made fit for life in heaven. And it was a body that was immortal. That which had been sown in corruption has been raised in incorruption. That which has been sown in weakness has been raised in power. That which has been sown in dishonor has been raised in honor. The natural has become spiritual. And the reason Jesus' resurrection was different was because of Jesus' work on the cross on Friday. Jesus was led to the cross by God because Jesus was under the curse of the law. Jesus had taken that position on behalf of his people. On the cross, as the representative of his people, Jesus had borne the full punishment for all their sins. And he had made satisfaction. He had made the full payment for all their sins, all their debts. And because of Jesus' perfect work, Jesus did not deserve to remain in the grave. He went through that experience of giving up the ghost and that humiliation of being buried, but he did not deserve to remain in the grave. He had earned the right to eternal life with God. And in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that's the new life that Jesus took to himself. Jesus didn't just come back from the dead. But you see, Jesus had conquered death and the grave. And he came out on the other side of the grave. He didn't just come back, but he went through the grave and came up on the other side, on the side of eternity. He had conquered death and the grave. And when he arose from the dead on the other side, on the side of immortality, he arose never to be touched by death again. He's completely free from any and all claims of death, of all of death's claims. He passed from the state of humiliation to the state of exaltation. Instead now of having the form of a lowly servant, Jesus is now in his exaltation, in his resurrection, given a name that is above every name. He's no longer weak. He's no longer subject to the infirmities of the flesh. He is the victorious king, clothed with honor and glory. He has no more need of food and drink. He has no more need for these women to care for all these earthly needs. 
And there you see the significance. The very consequence of all these things was the fact that that old way of life that Jesus had lived before his death had come to an end. It was destroyed. It was no more. And now what does that mean for Mary? It means that that previous relationship that Mary had enjoyed with Jesus was no longer there. It's kind of what we looked at last week's Sunday with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Her relationship is going to be different. Not just his mother now, but, but he calls her woman. Because their relationship is going to change through his death and resurrection. It's the same thing here with Mary Magdalene. It was impossible for that previous relationship that Mary Magdalene enjoyed with Jesus to continue the way it was. And this is something that Mary herself needs to learn about Jesus' resurrection. You can imagine that when Mary realized Jesus was alive, Mary thought that everything could just go back to the way it was before. She was ready to serve Jesus, give him his food and drink, supply whatever he was lacking. This, after all, is the kind of Jesus Mary was looking for. A Jesus whose earthly needs she could minister to. I could put it this way, if this helps make sense. Mary had been looking for an earthly body in the same kind of way that the other disciples were entertaining thoughts of an earthly kingdom. The women were looking for an earthly body to serve just as the men were looking for an earthly kingdom to rule. It's the same kind of struggle that they all had. I think that's also why Mary calls him Rabboni. Mary says, Master, the one whom I live to serve, now I get to serve you again. But the reality is a fundamental change has taken place. Jesus is no longer in need of food or drink or the earthly substance that Mary could provide him. Jesus is glorified. This is something that all the disciples of Jesus will have to learn. And it's precisely this truth, this reality, that Jesus is teaching Mary in verse 17 when he says, Touch me not. He withdraws from her embrace right at the very beginning of his resurrection. Exactly so that Mary Magdalene won't be led on. So that she's not led astray. Jesus knows she needs instruction right now. Mary will never be able to serve and wait on Jesus the way she had before his death. Mary must learn to know Jesus in a higher fellowship than what she's used to. That's where this is going. This is perhaps also why Mary didn't recognize Jesus when she first saw him. Because Mary was looking for the same person she had known before his death. But Jesus has changed. There's something that's changed. So this is why Jesus interacts with Mary the way that he does. This is also why he interacts with his other disciples the way that he does. He appears to them in the upper room and then he suddenly disappears. He he passes through the doors. Why does he do these things? Well, he does it to teach them about the nature and significance of his resurrection. Jesus is obviously different now than he was before his death. He, He is very... His life is different. He's he's clothed with honor and power and glory. He's no longer that man of sorrows. Now, if you look at me at verse 17, Jesus says more than just touch me not. In verse 17, Jesus says, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. 
But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. And what Jesus is doing there is explaining himself. And what Jesus is saying is this, Mary, I need to ascend to heaven. Because this life that I've taken to myself, this glorified life is not fit for this earth. It's fit for heaven. And that's where I must go. Touch me not. And Mary, I must also go to heaven so that from heaven I can pour out my Holy Spirit upon you and upon all my disciples. And by that outpoured Holy Spirit, you will be able to understand and enjoy this higher level of fellowship that you're going to have with me. That's how you will be able to touch me again. That's how you will be able to cling to me. That's how you will be able to embrace me. Not by embracing me, thinking that I am still in the form of a servant, in the likeness of sinful flesh, but by embracing me, but by embracing me in this higher, more spiritual and heavenly and blessed way. You will be able to touch me. You will be able to cling to me and fellowship with me. But not in the flesh, physically, like it was before. But spiritually, by my poured out Holy Spirit. So don't embrace me as the humble and lowly Jesus. But embrace me as the exalted King of glory. And when I ascend to heaven, I will send my Holy Spirit so that you will be able to embrace me in this higher, deeper, and more glorious way. That's how you will be able to touch me. That's the instruction he's giving Mary. Beloved, this is important instruction for us also. When we hear of how Jesus interacts with Mary, we almost feel bad for Mary. As if Mary has lost something that is very precious to her. Right? That relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we ourselves think that it would be nice if we had Jesus here in the flesh with us today. Right? If Jesus could speak to us in church like he preached in Nazareth. How wonderful it would be to sit at the feet of Jesus. I think we all understand that, but that's not how it is. Through Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, Jesus actually brings our fellowship with him, our relationship with him to a higher level. We're brought out of the days of types and shadows, and we're brought into the age of spiritual maturity. We're brought into the new covenant. That's what's happening here. Mary, we've entered the new covenant. We're going there. With my outpoured Holy Spirit, we will really enter the new covenant. Through Jesus' ascension, we have so much more today. And that's what Mary's going to experience as well. Right now, she probably doesn't understand it all. But soon on Pentecost, she will be brought to understand. She has to wait a little bit longer in order to understand what Jesus is telling her. And then she will realize for herself, yes, this is better. To have the pouring out of the Spirit, to be raised to this higher level of fellowship with Jesus through His Spirit, this is better. This is also why Jesus speaks the way He does further in verse 17. Notice that last part of the verse now. But go to my brethren and say unto them... Notice every... Every word here is significant. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Jesus says, my brethren. They're not just my disciples anymore. They're my brothers. They're not just my servants, right? Remember Jesus said that the night before his crucifixion, John 15. Henceforth I call you no more servants. I call you friends. And that's what he said the night before his crucifixion. But they still really had to experience that. They experienced it that night. But, but now with Jesus' resurrection, they're going to experience it more fully, more intimately. Up to now, they've been just servants. But Jesus says, now I call them brothers. He's communicating that with these words to Mary. I call them brothers and I call you my sister. The point is Jesus is raising their relationship with him to a higher and more intimate level. Mary is not just Jesus' servant. Oh, call me Rabboni, but call me brother. Mary, you are my sister. And as such, God is her father. Right? My father and your father. And my God and your God. We're we're part of the same family. And what does this mean? This means that she is an heir. She's an heir of God and joint heir with Christ of everlasting life, glory, and friendship with God. And this glory that Jesus now enjoys is the glory that she will one day also enjoy. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's the good reason Jesus tells Mary not to touch him. There are richer things in store for you, Mary, than what you had before. So what's the glorious message that Jesus gives Mary? And what's the glorious message that we hear on Resurrection Sunday? The glorious message is this. Jesus has risen and has made all things new. In a beginning, in principle. That's really the central message of Easter Sunday. That's the message that Jesus communicates to Mary Magdalene in his very first appearance after his resurrection. Jesus has made all things new. Through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God testifies to us, to us who are in Jesus Christ, God testifies to us that all our sins have been forgiven. It is now before the throne of God's justice as if we had never sinned because Jesus has paid it all. Through Jesus' resurrection, God testifies to us. He tells us, He witnesses to us that Jesus has earned for us everlasting life and has obtained victory over death and the grave. Through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God testifies to us that Jesus, our elder brother, is the King of glory, King of kings and Lord of lords. And through his resurrection from the dead, God testifies to us that we have a proof, a sure pledge that our own bodies will themselves be one day raised from the dead and brought to the new heavens and new earth. Through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God tells us that a new day has dawned. A new covenant with new, greater blessings. Certainly this is a new day for Jesus. Easter Sunday is the first day of Jesus' life of immortality. Jesus, the man, like unto us in all things, this is the first day of the rest of eternal life for him in glory. But it's also a new day for us. A day of hope. A day of victory. Jesus' resurrection was, in a very real sense, the first day of the rest of our lives. Because the life that Jesus took to himself is the life that he also imparts to us 
by His Holy Spirit. It's that life of regeneration, that new life that lives in us, that new man that He imparts to us by His Holy Spirit that will never die. And even physical death itself is but a passageway to another stage of enjoying that intimacy and fellowship, that relationship with Jesus in glory. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are become new in principle, in a beginning, because of the new eternal life that Jesus took to himself in his resurrection from the dead. And yes, today we experience still the weakness of the flesh. Today we still have that old man of sin that we must wage war against. But already now we have an experience of that new life. We we have a foretaste of heavenly life. Already now we have peace with God. And we are brought to a higher relationship and a more intimate relationship with God than what they had before Jesus' resurrection. We experience the beginning of eternal joy through the finished labors of Jesus Christ. And God, who has begun that work, will certainly finish it. Through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the life and fellowship that God's people enjoyed with God is brought to a higher level. That's, maybe we can consider that on Pentecost Sunday, being brought into the new covenant, because that's what this is all about. And there is yet a day coming. There is yet a day coming when this new day will come to its full realization. There is a day coming when Jesus' work of making all things new will come to its perfection, where Jesus will usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow at all. All our tears will be wiped away. We will enjoy perfect fellowship with Jesus. God will come and tabernacle with his people, and we shall be able to touch Jesus. We will be able to cling to Jesus and embrace him because we will see him face to face, and we will get to fellowship with him forever in that highest state of glory. On Resurrection Sunday, God gives us the promise that that future is ours for us who believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection from the dead guarantees it. Jesus is the one who makes all things new. That's the message Jesus gave to Mary on Sunday morning, and that's what we celebrate today on Easter Sunday. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for how Thou didst take care of Mary in that significant moment when she needed to hear the gospel. And it was hard to understand, but it was true. Help us too also, Father, that we might know this gospel And it might be etched into our hearts. And even though we don't understand everything, help us to see even through the preaching this morning that we know it's true. We have hope of glory.
And we have a sure victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank thee for Resurrection Sunday. We pray that we might live before thee in that new life more and more, giving thee all the praise and all the glory. For this is even thy purpose with us and our salvation, that thy name might be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.